Hello, 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 everybody. How are you? Uh, it's me, Jake, and I think I know what episode number this is. <laughs> it's 179. I looked it up before I started because I remembered that I forget to do that a lot of times. But I didn't forget this time, so um, yeah, it's party, party at my house for that. Hey, you know what? Thank you for listening. Uh, people have been so nice sending me emails. Uh, David in Scotland, shout out to you, uh, Julie. As always, I've got a couple of uh, women who are Vicky. Also, is sending me a lot of emails. Vicky, that's a lot. You're sending me a lot of emails, um, and not that I'm not enjoying them. It just is. It just is a lot. Um, okay. So, here we go, and thank you to everybody else out there who has only dreamt of sending me an email, because uh, I know that you also are listening, and uh, you've got stuff to do. You don't, you don't have time to be emailing people all the time. Well, you don't have time to be emailing me. I, there may be other people. I'm sure that you're emailing somebody. Everybody's emailing somebody. Everybody deserves somebody to email. That's for sure. And, and if you haven't got anybody, hey, I'm here. Send me an email, uh, jake at jakethis.com, and I'm at jakethis on Twitter. You come and see me at, in the comedy club also, if you could. That's that's really, listen, this is fun, what we're doing here, and I enjoy it, and I'm not stopping. I'm keeping going, although it has been, hey, I was in New Orleans. What are you going to do? I was in New Orleans. It's a little bit uh, later than it was uh, sometimes when I'm releasing these, but this is it. It's happening now. It's happening now to both of us. I'm, it's happening to me sooner than it is to you because I gotta, I gotta record this and then I send it out. We've been over it. We've been over it. The whole time travel aspect of what time it is to you right now to me, it's uh 9 AM on Wednesday, September 21. Um, and I'm excited. I'm excited to start my day. Nobody's around right now. I can shout out this podcast to you. I've got a guest today, the great Jim Short, who is a comedian who I have known for many, many years uh, because he came through San Francisco after I had left San Francisco, but I would go up there and he was uh, uh, very popular on that scene. And uh, we talk about that. We get into that, his history. I didn't know everything about him. Well, I, who can say that they know everything about another person? But there were a lot of things that I didn't know about him. And I had made some assumptions, as as we all do, about people who we know a little bit. We're, we're filling in the blanks. Sometimes it's easy to forget that you're filling in the blanks on people, and you actually start to believe that you know things about them that you don't really know. And uh, I hope I'm not being too cryptic with you, but I'm just trying to call attention to the fact that a lot of times in life we're dealing with other people. In fact, almost all the time. We don't spend enough time dealing with ourselves is what I'm trying to say uh, tangentially there is uh, you've got to get your own shit together before you can go out and, st and start straightening everybody else out. Um, but a lot of times we're dealing with other people. We're, we're assuming, we're assigning intentions and motivations to them. And uh, those intentions and motivations might not be might not be true. Now that's not what I was doing with uh, my friend Jim Short, who came over. I wasn't assigning him intentions and motivations. I was I was making assumptions based on the fact that he has an Australian accent, that he uh, was an Australian, uh, which he is. But he's also 
in some ways, more American than Australian. And I, I, I almost said more American than me, but that's not true because I was born, I've spent almost my whole, there are, there have been, I've spent months outside of the United States of America, but then again, I'm in my 50s, so that can happen. It adds up, even if I'd only just stepped over the border into Canada once a month um, for a day. I would have spent months there at this point, I think. I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't completely done the math on that, um, but uh, I think that that's true. Anyway, go, please go see me at the Comedy Club, jakethis.com. Please enjoy this conversation I'm about to have with Jim Short. I'll be back with you at the end. And uh, those shout-outs, I'm going to get to some of the contents of the emails of the questions and the answers at a future time. But I wanted to get this out because I was in New Orleans and I was having a great time. I want to talk to you about that, but I'm going to do that in the episode when I talk about the other things. I'm piling up these episodes because now, after a kind of a dry spell of not being able to get my uh, my calendar together and schedule people to come over. I've been on a pretty brisk... Uh, I've been having a lot of... So somebody's coming over today to put another episode in the can. And uh, so i gotta get I got to get busy. I, I don't have time for all this talking that I'm doing right now. Hey, thank you for listening. Please enjoy Jim Short. Uh, here we go. Okay. We're on. We can we can start. We now now we can now the magic can really. Yeah, happen. this is before before it was a little bit uh, preliminary, and that was I really was kind of wanting to ask you to take it down a notch because you were being a little bit. You don't want to waste too much like that's not recorded, right? Yeah, well, or, it's almost like you should have a, you should have a mic set up in that kitchen there to catch anything that happens to record yes i should start yeah. recording in the beginning and yeah. then right and then up to here with Almost some secret record or yeah yeah to, just some so kind you of don't spy lose thing. any any brilliance mm-hmm, because sometimes mm-hmm. sometimes it's funnier off mic and more interesting and then you sit down and it's forced like now we must pretend to talk and but i'm uh, not that say it, it will but I that's mean, not we're I'm not going to do in that general yeah in don't, general, don't 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 poison predict don't make a <laughs> prophecy yet let's make a prophecy that this is going to be fantastic i'm i think it's going to be the probably the best episode you've had today mm. yep yep i put a little almond milk in my coffee and i feel like that was i i'm not going to do that again did you are you not i know i'm see well, okay Go Jake ahead. offered me uh, some coffee, and I, and I, will ne- I never, never turned down a coffee. Me too. I love unless coffee. it's a decaf. But um, and then, and then, it, then you're asking. See, here's the thing. Then you're asking me. Then you ask me. Uh, after all, you you set the coffee down. It was a process to make it, and then you set the cup down, and you kind of left it, and we chatted a bit more, which was not recorded, uh, no. because we don't have recording in the kitchen. And so, in my mind, it's like the dilemma of like some people. You know, some people are so like strident. Like, if you don't drink black coffee. Get out of my life. It's black. Oh, black you thought I might be going to do that? Too. Well, some people, you know how some people are very do- dogmatic about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it's black or nothing, you know? So I thought, right. well, maybe you're one of those people, and there is oh. no, there's not going to be any milk offer. And then some people are like, well, you know, how dare you want me to, you know, abuse a cow to give you a bit of, you know, creamy satisfaction. Oh, you're going through the many coffee. reasons that right. people might not want to have milk. that's the thing. And I, I didn't want to insult you by going, do you have any milk? And you're like, you're going to be like, you know, well, I, this is a vegan household and how dare you. Yeah, you don't need suggest. it. But then you've got full milk and then you've got, um, so you've got a bit of everything. So, but then I thought, well, I don't really drink full milk because I'm a skim milk 
Are you? Uh, yeah, well, I have a bit of issue with it some, once in a while. So I thought, well, I'm not going to subject myself to that. But thank you for having real milk. And so, so I went for the almond milk, which I'm not, I'm not against, but I'm not. Did I've you only thought, had it a little are bit. Are you sure you went for the almond milk? Yeah, I went for the almond milk. But here's the thing. Now, you went for the almond milk. I thought milk. you went for the glass bottle. Oh, I looked at it. I looked at it to see if it was full milk, and I was going to do it. But okay. I'm a, as I said, I'm oh, a skim milk. This is like a magic person. trick that happened to me. <laughs> it's a shell game. Yeah. But I had the almond milk, but I've got specks still. And you've got perfect. You've got perfect Yeah, mine worked out okay. Well, I went for some. I went for an unholy blend. Oh, you did a bit I of both? I put a little cow's milk in, and then I thought, you know, I kind of maybe I want a little of that almond flavor, because the, the almond milk can be a little bit sweet sometimes. It's mm-hmm, kind of nice. Mm-hmm, yeah. I so, suppose it's okay what I've done. This is, uh, yeah, this is. Mm. But, but you know what I mean? There's a lot of, like, things that can, especially in in L.A., and especially in show business, there are people who are like, you know, I know those people who don't drink any milk in their coffee, and they will look down on you if you ask for some. And then, then the people who like look down on you if you want milk, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I wasn't sure. I get it. Well, I but feel- you're a very accommodating host who has a bit of everything. And I'm married, so I'm married. already living in a world where it's so easy to make a mistake. Like you, you can do something thinking you're doing the other person a favor, and then be told later on, no, that's the. It would have been better if you'd done nothing. So I <laughs> just 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 quietly sat there. Uh, yeah, I mean, not I that, my, the coffee not that my wife is terrible. It's just she's she's enigmatic a little bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so and, and we're and we're still in the process 14 years into our marriage of, of kind of getting used to the other person's on your side. So it, it's as unbelievable as it may seem that they're not doing something wrong on purpose to screw with you. <laughs> right. That's that's really the, the truth of what's going on. So I try then not to be that way. In I'm I'm trying not to have any like oh my god I can't believe you want this. It's like oh if that's what you'd like, that's what I have. Mm-hmm. But I I don't even know why we have almond milk. To be honest, that's is my somebody uh, is somebody have trouble with the milk here? Or is it just no? Like, it's a healthier alternative. My wife may have read a magazine article, or this place that we're in right now is also we we rent it out, and so sometimes when the people leave and the new people come in, there'll be stuff in the fridge, and so then sometimes that goes to our then 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 we'll. Let me ask you this, and because we are poisoned as, as stand-ups, say who would bring like okay, if there's almond milk left over in the fridge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hopefully it's in the fridge. Hopefully it's not just down. Right. Yeah, the, you know, it's been there. So would your wife maybe bring it over and put it in your fridge? I would. You would. I would, and I. But she would. I didn't think she would, but she may have. And see, what I was going to say is, is it ingrained in your idea, in your mind, as a comic? Like anything that's left over in a fridge is not, is not you, you know because when we go to a condo, which I, I don't know if you've been to a condo in a long time. Yeah, it's long been time. a while, but you don't eat anything. But we don't eat anything that's fridge. you know for for, Unless for the reasons. Unless it's packaged, if it's if it's yeah, it's you can tell it's unopened and and it's although a lot of comics now have free time and they're very inventive, they can reseal something. And put it back. In. Um, I feel like those days are kind of behind us, aren't they? So we're some but, some guy well, they are, but with they, well, like he would do but, something to your to the yogurt just to see if you would eat I th- it. I you would think they're over, but I think it's just so it's so ingrained in my mind that yeah. comics uh, horrible people have done something awful. Well, but, you know that's why I, that's why I picked there. yogurt as my example. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah, comics. 
So where did you tell me about how you're the, the nice thing about the, that story about the coffee to me is that you were looking to be um, cautious and considerate of like, hey, I don't know what the rules are, so I'm just going to be a mellow guy. I, look, I can go with anything. I'm uh, very casual and, and I'm, you know, it was lovely that you said you want some coffee and I wouldn't. I wasn't going. Well, we were also having a chat, so I knew it was, yeah. something was coming. But I'm just also mindful that there are so many. Di- but you're you're a very generous chap yourself. But I'm also mindful of of how people are in LA, and there is that sort of thing. So, um, but I'm I'm quite I'm quite open to all. Yeah. All milks. Right. Well, I was more trying. I was trying to segue a little bit to get just a little bio. Yeah. Of you. Because I where know, did I start? Is well, that, I think is it's it? clear from people who are listening that it's not um, not America. Not America. Well, I I was, you- I was started in Australia. Mm-hmm. That's where my beginning happened. But I moved my I moved my family moved. I didn't move on my own. Uh, my family moved to the United States in 1979 when I was 12. So this accent that you have is from then. Is well, I think it's changed. I think it's morphed a bit. I think anybody's accent sort of. I mean, sure. it's, pure Australian people will go. Well, you don't even sound Australian. You're not. You're not. An, you know, they're, they're, there's nobody worse than Australians for judging other Australians. They will tell me that I'm a fake and that I'm pr- putting it on and and um, it's a fake accent. But I think when you live somewhere for a long time, it does change. My family moved to Texas, so you've got that influence there of that sort of accent from which australia I think I was, to texas australia to texas yes that's the thing if you, if you want to ruin a child uh and you're looking for a good way to do it move them from australia to texas where, when, they're, when they're 12 where in australia see my brisbane. daughter's brisbane brisbane or brizzy they call it brizzy yeah not brisbane no which is some people that's a city outside of san francisco but uh yeah brisbane brisbane Brisbane, Brisbane. We, we, it's not even Brisbane. Yeah, it's Brisbane. If you just stick with Brizzy, you're Brizzy. That's you can't. It's hard to screw Brizzy. that up. It's, I mean, they're gonna they're gonna look at you like you don't get to call it Brizzy, but but I think they're 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 gonna cut you the slack when you just when you explain to them. Look, I don't know how to say the second half of it. Yeah, <laughs> I know that you've created this abbreviation because you're too busy to say the second <laughs> half of it. But I don't know how to do it, so that's why I'm saying Brizzy. Yeah. But Brizzy is is beach, right? That's the fancy. That's that's nice up by the beach, isn't it? Yeah, well, you got the Gold Coast. Yeah, that's what I thought. So many k's away from it, fifty k's or so away from it. I might be wrong on that. But and the Gold Coast is resorts and high rise. Yeah, it's just gorgeous swimming, and then and then you can go to the Barrier Reef is right out there, isn't it? Well, if you go way way up north, oh, you got to go further north. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's way up there. All right, yeah. But there's beach all the way along. Like my my parents live up by uh, um, the um, the uh, what is it called? it's up north of it. And now I've forgotten what it's called. Um, the, the Sunshine Coast is what they call it. And they've got beach. This beach... Better than the Gold Coast. Or they, or they downgrade the name to keep the riffraff well, Gold out. Coast, Gold like Coast people. is very gold standard. Sunshine is just sunny. But it rains a lot. So yeah. it's sort of an anomaly a bit there. But um, yeah, I mean... But that's where I grew up. I grew up in Australia. And then we moved to Texas... So 12 years old, you're spending, you're at the beach, it's beautiful, sunny all the time. You move to Texas. Where in sunny. Texas? Where in Texas? It, oh, uh, down near Corpus Christi. 
So you're still by the beach? Still sort of by the beach, but a little bit inland, but and but not the beach attitude. Dirty you know? oil company, hillbilly beach. <laughs> it's, um, it's very Texas. It's very Texas, yeah. um, you know, as, as we all know from Texas, but very Texas mindset. And a smaller town, a rural, um, sort of agricultural, which was great for my dad because he grew up in that sort of, he grew up in inland Australia as well. And what made you want to... What made you want to move? Or them I think my move? dad just liked, he just liked it. We'd visited a few times, and my dad just really just loved Texas. And really? I, don't, I don't know what the mindset was for, for, for my folks. They just wanted to go somewhere different. Was it an easier time where a guy who was just used to being hot and out in the sand could just decide to come to America from Australia? I mean, because now I just don't feel like that's... Unless he's got a job lined up, I, I don't feel like that happened. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, it was, you know, there's a huge immigration process, mm -hmm. which is not fun for anyone. Even then, at that time. Even then. I'm, I mean, I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it's more difficult now. But um, we moved over. Uh, I don't know. I think, but it was, you know, my, my, they had to deal with a lot of legal issues for right. it to happen. And, you know, as a kid, you're sort of not aware of it. But um, I do know that, you know, when, we, when it finally happened, we had to go do um you know residency the tests and everything like that and you know you have to you have to speak english and you have to write things and and they were like yeah you know we need to check that you speak english and then you say a couple of sentences and they go well yeah you're okay on that they don't know you're much okay. about australia even now <laughs> no they do well most most people don't i mean i think it's i think it's i mean i've joked about it on stage but just the questions that we would get about australia and of course this is the 70s or the late 70s, you know, yeah. sort of. So Australia wasn't quite, I mean, I think people knew about it, but I think it was very distant and it was very far away. It still is in people's minds, but the images back then were like people, people asked us if we drove over from Australia, which not a lot of people, but a few people, enough people where you go, what, 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 is not, what is not getting across here information wise that people think Australia yeah, is how could you drive there? Yeah, um, you could take a boat to Tierra del Fuego <laughs> and then drive up <laughs> and, and rent a car. Yeah, but that wouldn't make much a one-way rental. Yeah, that wouldn't make much sense. <laughs> well, people saw photos of us. You know, we had some photos with some kangaroos, and somebody said, "What kind of dogs are they?" I mean, this sounds like made-up stuff. Oh, they didn't even know those were. They didn't know that they were an actual different animal. I mean, as I said, this is. All, I think. I think now people have been introduced to it. Right. But people still ask weird questions. Or, yeah. I remember, I remember being on a plane flying over there and a guy telling, in the back seat, the seat behind me, the guy telling his wife that Australia had been discovered by Captain Hook. And you want to laugh. Hook. Because it, it, I mean, the guy that gets credit, and you know, it's like anywhere, a lot of people have discovered, been there before. Captain Cook gets the, the he gets the lion's share of the credit. Right. But, um, oh, but that's like Columbus here, where it's so like, hey, exactly. what about the people that were there when he got there? Yeah, I know. Like the or the, or the, or the, you know, you always for... hear like the Vikings were here yeah. first and the Dutch and everything. But, you know, but at least Captain Cook is a real guy. Captain Hook is, is in Peter Pan. Yeah. And he didn't do much discovering at all. Well, I, I've got a wife, and I can understand how sometimes you're talking to your wife and you just don't have time to Google things. He's on a plane. He can't look so it up. Just, he's just, he's pretty gonna... sure it's Captain Hook. <laughs> it might not be right. I mean, I wouldn't believe everything that you hear from your spouse on a plane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not the place to fact check. Yeah. And at least the, at least the, 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 you know, your phones are turned off. Yeah, at yeah. At that point, you, you couldn't even really Google. 
yeah. Now I think they might. I don't think they have Wi-Fi on a lot of those trans-Pacific flights. No, no. So you go, you can say anything you You're want. You're out there until you land, and then it's truth time. And then you land, and then somebody says, you know, where's the monument to Captain Hook? And they're gonna go, mate, you're. Um, no, that's you're, you're mistaken. You, I think you're thinking of Captain Cook, but <laughs> I could be and wrong. Then, then people will take the piss out of you, because royally, because in uh, New Zealand there's a monument to. I, I've got a paper statue of it in here somewhere, but the monument to the guy Riff Raff from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, really? Because he's from New Zealand. Oh. And the, the actor who played Riff Raff, but they've got a statue of Riff Raff in the town in New Zealand where he is from. Because that's their claim to fame. Sometimes you've got to hang on to what They've you got have. a statue of the Fonz in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Which, uh, it makes sense, because, I mean, if it was a statue of Henry Winkler, you'd go, oh, Henry Winkler's not from Milwaukee. But the Fonz, a fictional character, is from Milwaukee. Is. Now, it, the and statu- it does look like Henry Winkler, because Henry Winkler played the Fonz. And they wasn't it the bron- Bronze the Fonz? That was the campaign, wasn't it? That I don't know. There was some, some campaign about getting that statue. Uh, so anyway, so just to kind of track back into you and your life. So you're in Texas, you're 12 years old. Then you, you, you live there until you leave and go to college or something? Or? Yeah, then I went to college, and then I moved to Dallas in mm-hmm. 1988 with the idea of... I had enough money to move to... That was the biggest city I could move to at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty big city. Yeah. And close. Yeah, and with an interest in acting and theater and stuff like that, and I kind of stumbled into stand-up, because I, I, you know, it was starting to explode and, at that time, and... I mean, uh, uh, for me, the Letterman show was the door that opened everything, you know, just seeing, first off, Dave, who was the most unique host at that time, not to take anything away from anyone else. I think we've talked about it. He was like our guy. Right. right. I really felt like that. I mean, when his show started, I think it was 14 and you go, this is the show made for me. Yeah, he's and, sort of a sarcastic people. person who's talking, who has the same similar sense of humor to yeah. what you have and different to what's on television at that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now and there's so many guys who have have been influenced by him that it's hard to remember that they wouldn't be that if it hadn't right. been Right. I remember a time there when there wasn't Dave. Mm. Um, but And there were so many great stand-ups. I mean, people like yourself as well, you know, that were on there. So, you know, stand-up was in my head, and so I started going to open mics. And this is where you were in college, or you were done? No, this is after I'd graduated college. So I moved up there in 88. And, and so you got a job? Yeah, I just got a retail job, you mm-hmm. know, just, a, just a regular job, and then started... I went to an open mic uh, that was out by the airport, um, in a Holiday Inn, and in the lounge. And I called up, you know, I looked it up, and there was some number... Mm-hmm. call up uh, about going on i was like well let me call up and i'd done speech in college so you know there was a there was a and i'd done acting and everything like that so there's some level of being on stage but um i went to I, I called up this guy and he said well you can come out and you can do the open mic he says, but i'm gonna I'm warn you it's really rough um which i think you know most open mics are you mean the audience was going to be heckly or drunk well, or weird or- more more like not interested I think, especially because yeah. it's it was a bar by the airport, a, a hotel by it's a bar in a hotel by the airport. So anyone that's there is really not there by much choice. I but that think. was a weird time too, I guess, where they were putting comedy into places. Nowadays, when you go to an open mic, it's usually at a place where 
the people who are at the show know what they've come to yes. see. Yeah. And they've come there on purpose mm-hmm. to see it, either to support their friends or because they get a kick out of seeing yeah. people go on stage early in their... And they're familiar with know. it. Maybe back then it was kind of like, what, you know, what, what is this? What's happening? What, you know, um, but I got there and then a couple of guys, you know, were, were talking. I sat at the table where some of the other comics were and they're throwing out words, you know, gig and set and you know they're using the terminology and i'm like eh, sort of a bit you know and then mm-hmm. i think i was i think i was up uh there was a host and then two guys and then me and i watched two guys completely eat it just not get any and not be that good and i it, it's comforting because you go well i can be as bad as that right you know that's right. if that's, that's where the, the bar common, is that's the common i can totally match that you know and if those yeah. guys can do it and they're allegedly established people in this town you know, because this is my first time ever sort of really hanging out. Mm-hmm. I've been to a couple of comedy shows. But you know what I mean? It gives you that confidence, too. Like, well, I can, I can, you know. So I went up there and, and did quite okay. Uh-huh. You know, I think as everyone's first said is it's pure adrenaline. You just go up there and you, you know, you just mm-hmm. say whatever. And then you just get off three minutes later. And um, it went fine in, you know, for, for that time period. And uh, I think that was it, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is what I can do. Uh-huh. And then how long before you... Because I met you then in San Francisco, and that would have been in the 90s, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had two improvs in town. That was a great thing about Dallas. We had the Dallas Improv, way down oh, yeah. there on Dallas. Yep. Uh, yep. On, in Dallas. And they had the Addison, which is north North. Which is Dallas. still there, yeah. It's still there. And two improvs in town is a great... And once I sort of got established in there, mm-hmm. um, I started opening shows... Um, I mean, that was so much work between the two clubs. I probably did 10, 13, 14, 15 weeks a year. Right, because, opening because up there, were, well, there weren't as many comedians then. Weren't as and many. if and they found you, somebody who could do the job, yeah. it was like easy to... Well, especially to you know, as, as a host, and this is, you know, nobody ever wants to host, but if you can do the job and get the names and their credits and, and, and plug the T-shirts and all the stuff and get a couple of laughs, you'll work. You yeah, know, because that's what. Well, I mean, I don't know if they 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 care as much now. I mean, you know, back then it was an important thing to be a a good host. I think now it's like, well, you work for free. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's, well, that's that's so much it, of stand up has turned into, will you work for free? Yeah, exactly. I, and I feel like I I would love to get a lot of the young comedians in a room and go, you know, you don't have to. As, as soon as we all decide that we're not going to work for free anymore, they will pay us because the event. You know, maybe it's not the MC, but the, somebody in the show has to be good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have a little bit of, you know, uh, self-worth. Right. And, um, and uh, but I, I somewhere got lost. Because I remember, I don't know how much you hosted, uh, but as a host, especially in the days of the improvs and the, and the first franchise of it, you would show up on Tuesday night, because the gig started on Tuesday night, and there'd be a sheet of... of uh, your duties, you know, mention this and this and mention the weight stuff and plug the t-shirts and, and, and the upcoming and, shows, yeah, upcoming yeah, shows mention the calendars. I mean, there was, now you show up and I don't think anybody gets told anything because it's sort of, it's sort of like that lost oral history where it just, the yeah, story's maybe. ended somewhere. I, I think that, I think that in, in the chains, they still have a, a little bit of it. They're not as picky about everything, but they mm-hmm. do want to you just tell people to sign up for their email list make sure they tell them that, uh, that some big name is coming in a couple weeks yeah that kind of stuff yeah um so when do you move to san francisco well what happened was and i i know 
I know I saw you in Addison, I think I told you this a couple weeks ago, maybe about 1990, because at this point I could go sort of hang out at shows and Mm-hmm. and be there and I, I may have talked to you at the time because at that time too it was, a, it was a bit more casual where there weren't entourages not that you travel like that but you know there are people traveling now with road managers and merch people and well, and, and they're so- kind of sheltered back in the whatever mm-hmm. you yeah. know kind of yeah yeah well, there are some even of- have green rooms now but those clubs didn't i think i may have gone and talked to you back by the bar Mm-hmm. for a couple of minutes you know you're always going to go and, and see you know the comic is usually in the back somewhere hanging out or something like that. well and i remember that when i was starting out and if you're working with somebody like sam kennison came through and he was you, you want to go in the back and just be in the room and talk to him a little bit yeah yeah say hello or tell him you thought he was funny or whatever right yeah yeah, yeah. They, 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 you could connect with it and well and what i started to notice is because i would sort of go in every week and watch whoever was coming through and you'd go, oh, this one was funny and that one was funny. But then I started to see people who were really unique and because di- it's a. Lo- I think I think a good learning process is just watching it, and you can see people who are like, oh, this person's so funny. And then you go back the next week and you see somebody doing similar kind of, and you you start to weed out like, oh, this this act is amongst uh, uh, several people. You know, everyone's doing this kind. Then you would see somebody really unique who who just stood out. I remember going to see Tom Kenny. Yeah. In about 89, I went, man, I've never seen anyone like this ever. Yeah, you know, well, he's he like a cartoon. So and now, now he is the voice of SpongeBob and so many other cartoons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what an amazing, you know, act and just so, and, and that's, and, but I talked to him a little bit and then I would, I met a lot of people from San Francisco and all of them said, uh, leave here and move to San Francisco, get out of Texas and go. Cause at some point you have to go. So. In the 90s, I think I, I was basically done. Uh, I moved in 95. And I was kicking around L.A. a little bit, and then I went up to San Francisco for a weekend. And you know how everything just sort of falls into place? Yeah. Where well, you're up there, and you, you, you know, you find, uh, like, uh, uh, um, you know, Kevin Karaoke. Yeah, yeah. So you uh, met He was looking spirits. to move into the city. He was living in Berkeley. He wanted to move into the city for a while and get a place. And, and we had another friend and, and we were like, well, let's just, let's just, do. it was just, it happened so well. And it was one of those times where there was a migration, you know, as it always happened, like a bunch of people had just moved to LA. Mm-hmm. And so there were spots sort of opening up. You so know? San Francisco, it was easier to get on stage at a, at a it just ha- it just, better spot it in the just show. Just happened. Just it just happened. I, maybe if I'd stayed in LA, it would have happened too. But it, I just went up there and it just seemed like the, the city went, this, this is where you need to be right now. Like, like that time, that place, that's where it was. And I got in very quickly at Cobb's, uh, and the punchline and started getting spots and started getting work mm-hmm. and it um and it just you know just sort of really well happened. you would have been exotic too back back then i mean even now it's to, somebody with an accent in america is like oh could, people i tell my wife all the time that she's exotic and she yeah she doesn't get it <laughs> but in america it's unusual for us to interact with people from other countries because this country's so big and so many people just stay here all the time and once you get away from a bigger city it's it's unusual. Yeah. And 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 then put that on top of then stand up comedy is people sharing their experience with people who have a similar experience of being a person. So I, I you would be unique and I remember what, what was the guy's name? There was an English guy up there at the time who was just uh cleaning up. 
you know, he's getting gigs all over. Tony Morewood. Oh, yeah, Remember Tony. That guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't super special. He was funny, but he had an English accent. And- it's something that, you know, it, it, it added something else on, yeah. on, on the lineup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now now we're watching TV shows and every, you can't tell what accent. You know. Right. You watch those BBC shows and it's people. there's people with American accents, English, Scottish, there's yeah. Australians. They mix them all together. It's pretty great. Um but so, and then how long were you in San Francisco before you came down here, back well, down I, here? I think I, I think I probably stayed there too long. Uh, but I was, I was there for 13 years. Yeah, well, I feel like uh, it's easy, that's an easy place to stay too long. Yeah. I mean, before I started doing stand-up, one of the things, I had moved there to do stand-up, and I had tried a little bit, and I was nervous, and then I got a job working at a restaurant, and... I remember, like, five months went by, and I, I was like, I, you know, i got to go back and get on stage. Otherwise, I'm just going to be a waiter and live in San Francisco for my right. whole life. Because it's easy. It's fun. You go to a baseball game. You, you know, hang out in the park. Everybody's artistic and doing kooky mm-hmm. stuff, and you're, you're having a rich, fun life. Right. You know, right. why would you go somewhere else? So it's interesting, because before we came in here to this room, and we were talking in the kitchen, I was telling you about moving to Santa Monica to be by the beach for my sanity level in in Los Angeles and how that may have affected my exposure in LA and, and, you know, maybe, maybe some career things would have been different if I was over in Silver Lake and on stage all the time where more people were seeing me during those, those years. But this seems like a similar story that you're telling me now uh, about staying in San Francisco too long. How do you mean? Well, I I think at some point you, you've got to go, um, and move down to L.A. or New York, maybe. And a lot of mm. people told me, don't move to New York. There's no point in it. Uh, it was different then, too, than it, than I think, it is now. I think I should have gone to New York. Some days I think I definitely should have gone out there, because I think there's a lot of comedy happening. Uh, but, you know, it's you can't look at that now. But I, I think for me, I, it sort of really clicked, and I, and I, and I jumped in and, and got great... I, I got a great... Um, uh, support from Tom Sawyer at Cobbs, who gave me a lot of stage time. Right. And he, it, um, it, it was classic because Monday night was the showcase night, um, and you, you know, and then he expanded it to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So right. there were three nights of quality stage time, uh, you know, at, at a great club with great audiences, and and I would close a lot of those shows. Um, so I think I really learned to 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 sort of close and headline by doing that stuff. And then I started to work the road a lot. Um, I think the last three or four years I was in town in San Francisco, that's another reason. I mean, I didn't move because I was away. I was just away. People thought I had moved because I was just on the road constantly. Right, right, point. touring the country And from so there. people don't see you as much. And there wasn't time to come back and come down to L.A. and look. But I did get comfortable. A- at that time, when, I, when, when we were looking for a place... It, it was starting to get tough in San Francisco to find somewhere to live. It was 95. It was the beginning of stuff happening up there where it was, you know, really hard to find a place. And we, we finally found one way out in the out. We lived in the outer sunset. Mm-hmm. It was Kevin Kadoka, his girlfriend, uh, another comic, Brian Mallow, and myself. And we had a great three-bedroom place out on, it, it was Lincoln and 41st Avenue. So it was right by Golden Gate Park, right, right by the mm-hmm. beach. And a lot of people say, oh, it's so far out there, so far. I kind of liked it because it was, it was not as crazy and there was parking and the, yeah, the park and the beach and all that stuff there. But also, 
eventually everyone sort of left and then new people came in and then just random roommates and whatever. And as hard as San Francisco got to be, I stayed there because I had a garage space and I had a great, you know, apartment. Yeah, you could go on the you road and it's a home base. Like, it's like yeah. well, I'm not going to look for anywhere else to live. I'm not going to, you know. So I stayed in one place the whole, <coughs> excuse me, the whole time that I lived there. So there was that sort of that comfort. But I was busy. I was busy. I was on the road, and I was there wasn't time to, you know, mm -hmm. to come down to L.A. And but after, um, you know, you just find that time when you when you're like, oh, okay, it's time to move down. You, in your mind, you sort of accept it, you know, but. Um, and, and it was all, I mean, I think you realize too, like, I've done everything I can do up here and I have to go. But honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I should have gone years before that. Yeah. Know? But I think for me, I look at everything that I did up there, I got, I got a lot of television from being there because people would come up and, and, and see. Uh, well, they would come out know? to look for talent up there and you, you were one of the, the top guys. So they would, yeah. yeah. And um, so, and I, I got all those TV shows, and maybe I would have got them being down here, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to I ask you, because when did you move out there? Did you move from, you were in Iowa, did you move out to... I moved there in 82, but that was just because, you know, I, I've told this, the abbreviated version, right. I met a guy who was supposedly a stand-up from Chicago. We, he was going to California because he had cut a magazine out at article out that that's where Robin Williams had started the Holy uh -huh, City Zoo. So okay. that's what we knew. And that's but you, what we want, you went out there to do stand-up. To do stand-up, yeah. See, that's the thing to me, and, and it still exists, I think, but there's, there's such a, um, a... It's not even a myth, because it is true, but there's just such a... There's something, an aura about the place and stand-up. And, and I think that if you were even slightly a little bit different or a bit creative or unique, that was the place to go. Especially then, especially in the eighties, the nineties. I, I don't know now, just because I think Molly's doing a great job mm -hmm. with her part of the scene, running the punchline, yeah. and and Cobbs. But I I don't know how easy it is for comics going there to start to. I don't well, know. I don't, I don't know. It's easy, I don't know. It's easy is. to start anywhere, but I think it still has that draw. That draw is there. But if you look at all the amazing people that that. I think everyone gets included as, as being from there, but at least, you know, you I think, I don't know if you think this way, but I so associate you as a, as a San Francisco comic, even though you've not lived there in such a long time. Well, but that's where I started, so that's, and that's where I was. But you that's sort of where embody kind of that spirit of it, and, and Dana and Tom Kenny, Goldthwaite. Uh, yes, yeah, so Bob Goldthwaite came from Boston, and all but, of those but people came through from other San places. Francisco yeah, exactly. yeah. to get famous to come to L.A. And yeah. Ellen De DeGeneres started in Louisiana, but came through San Francisco yeah. before she came to Los Angeles. So, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great spot. It was a great spot to start out. When, now, now, when did clubs... So the punchline was probably there at that point, right? The punchline was there then. It was the punchline in Cobbs. So Tom Sawyer, who you've mentioned from Cobbs, he was, a, he was very influential in helping mm -hmm. me to get started and become better but by giving him me work and supporting me and then um so there was those two clubs then there was a place called the other cafe in the haight ashbury that was which a, i've heard amazing stories oh, about that. it was such a great club but it and it was in a, it was a daytime it was a coffee shop yeah. you know with a counter you go to the counter you order your coffee and a sandwich and then they bring it to you and then at night there was a stage in the corner yeah. i don't know how many people had even seated 130 40, 50. Right. But I saw Jay Leno there. Jay Leno came really? yeah. from Los Angeles to San Francisco to do a gig at the other cafe. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, I, well, that's, you know, that's one of the things that Tom would, uh, Kenny would talk about. Like, cause I think he lived really close to there. Mm-hmm. And he would talk about, you know, um, there was a laundromat across the street. And because of yeah. the big windows in the other cafe, he would say, excuse me a minute, and he'd run across the street and, and get his washing out of the washing machine and put in the dryer and then come back. And, f- and people would just watch him go over there yeah. and do it. Or they'd run out and get on the end Judah. Uh, yeah, yeah. train and go away but it just sounded like it was such a creative amazing space yeah it was really it was really a great but everything up there was you know I I, I, I don't say that other places weren't as creative but it, I think it gets the lion's share of being a, a, a very supportive place well it, but it was also uh, places were more themselves and disconnected from other places in a way that it's hard to even imagine now I mean forget about the internet when I first moved to San Francisco <laughs> Let me tell you a story. <laughs> um, I was moving there from Iowa, and in Iowa, in the in the early eighties, we got MTV early as because it was like a test. Like, oh yeah, they like it in Iowa, really. So when I came to San Francisco, they were just getting MTV, which I had already been watching. You know, drunken stoned on the couch. And mm-hmm. I was like, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> um, and, and so, so that was that was early days of there being one big pop culture where where the new hip kind of funny things could get like everybody knows about something. Like yeah. now, somebody does something and then everybody knows about it a week later. It's yeah. the, it's the exploding meme thing. But it took things longer, and so there could be regional things. And San Francisco was this regional place then, yeah, where comics were doing their thing and and those clubs the punchline and Cobbs and the other cafe they might have some comedian some national comedian come up what, what then we'd call a national comedian now everybody's a national comedian but but then someone would come up from LA or in from New York maybe on their calendar once right, a month right. and the rest of the times it would be the San Francisco guys which you know included Dana Carvey before he got giant famous he was from there Paul yeah. Poundstone and uh, Kevin Meany who'd come out from Boston and Bob Goldthwaite all of those guys were local San Francisco people and Ellen DeGeneres right and uh, and then sometimes other comics from LA would come up but but it was we had our own thing going on so that that was that was kind of did you even travel that much back then i mean i know i know there wasn't that much to travel to but well once i could headline once i i won the comedy competition up there in 86 and so that meant that i could headline the improvs as they existed on the road then and there weren't that many but there were some but so then i could go on the road and i could tour the country more i had toured a little bit but early on in my career, it would just I just do the one I'd be doing MC and middle act spots in San Francisco, so they can use you more than the once twice a year that they use yeah. you as a headliner. And then once a year, I'd go to Seattle for a month or go to Boston for six right, weeks, right? And then come back, and now you're fresh because they haven't you haven't worked there for for that long. So I'd do that. Um, so when did your parents move back to Australia? That must have been sort of weird. They brought you over here, dropped you off. Well, it was many years later. They moved back in two thousand and three. Oh, okay. So this so, is fairly. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like a. <laughs> we get you set up and we'll, we'll leave. Yeah, I picture back. you're in Dallas trying to struggle to. No, do they it. kind of retired and moved back. But now yeah. they're back. They, they sort of live in both countries a little bit. Sort of, uh, you know. They and are they? They're dual citizens now, right? Or, uh, or they they're have legal residents and um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they're allowed to, to come back. And, and you too. So you could go there and work or, in, or be here and work and do. Whatever I could you want. go. I could go there and work. It'd be a great idea. 
If I could get work over there. Well, I just did this Melbourne Comedy Festival. The problem then is that then you go from being exotic here to being like, this is a guy who's not even a regular guy here, you know? Well, I always feel like sometimes too, like, um, I, I don't, I barely exist here. And I don't exist there. Yeah, because that, that is, when you go back there, you have to think like, oh, it's almost like all my jokes are reversed. Not that all my jokes are about moving over, but, you know, here I've lived so long in the States, my perspective is, I'm a little bit different, but I live here so I can talk about it. And yeah. maybe I'll throw a spin onto it and I'll say it's because I'm a foreigner. But you go back over there and it's like... I'm from here, but I I don't I don't even know anything about what culturally. Yeah, you're not you're not up to speed culturally there. And, and then the, the other problem is that there's so many great comics there. Yes, I mean yeah. as, as there are everywhere now. There's so many really good comics. There's there's just a proportionally way more than there were when I started out. You right, know, there would just right. be some kind of hacky, terrible people or people who could just make a living by. Bar jokes and all mm-hmm. practic- yeah. practically, yeah. or, or pretty generic stock premises. But you go to Australia now, and, and it's there's so many great comics that you kind of got to bring your own thing. Right, like they're up for it. Right, but I think it'd be it almost be confusing to them. You would be confusing to them because it'd be like he sounds like us, but then he's telling us you'd have to figure out a new way, a new kind of angle. Well, you, in. Yeah, you got to look at it. Like I said, you almost got to turn it around and talk about like I haven't lived here, so I'm. It'd be, it'd be similar to like somebody from the US going over there and talking to them, but mm-hmm. it's like, I go, but I'm actually from here, so yeah, it's, it's like sort of like back and forth, but I mean, then I just talk about regular stuff as well, but I mean, you have to, I think you have to tell people what your story is so they know, like, what, you know, they're not going, well, what is, what, 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 here you have to, here especially I've noticed of late that I have to say where I'm from straight up early on. So people aren't sitting there going, where is this guy from? Because there is a, a little fear now, like, well, you, you're, you are different. Where are you from? Are you allowed to be here? I almost have to confront it. I've had people oh, wow. say to me a couple of minutes in, where are you from? Where, you know, like, almost like concern, like, there's a foreign person in our midst. Is he? Yeah, yeah. And I've joked about it that, you know, oh, it, it, I, I do kind of have to say up front, like, I'm from Australia and just, you know, and then there's still people who don't, but you're practically from here, here now. I'm practically be, from I mean, here. I always tell but people... But there's enough of a difference. Yeah. I tell people I'm from Iowa, but I've lived in California for 30-something years. I'm more of a Californian than a lot of Californians. You spent more time in, in California way than more, Iowa, right? Way but more. Doesn't that happen, though? Like, when people... It is tricky when somebody says, where are you from? And you go, oh, okay, well, where am I from right now? Or am I from a year, two years ago? Yeah, it's, well, I am it, still from Iowa. Yeah. But but even that, when I talk about my childhood, the portion of time that I've spent in California now so outweighs that. But then the time of my childhood, we also lived in Wisconsin and Tennessee. And so when I say where oh, I'm yeah. from, it's more about where I was for the five years before I came here and where my grandparents are from and where I was born. Then it, you know, it's, it gets to be a complicated. Yeah. This whole where are you from thing you yeah. know, with you just from the conversation we've just had. It's pretty complicated. Yeah. Texas, Australia. Yeah. You're San from Francisco, you're from Australia. LA. but. You came here when you were 12 years old, so mm-hmm. really, you're... I'm from L.A. You're as Right a, now, currently. Yeah, but I mean, I would say you're as an American as, as most any other American, right? <laughs> I mean... Which some people would say yes, and then some people would say, how dare you even suggest that, right? Because I wasn't born here. Let me ask you this. Do you have a gun? 
not, not at the moment, no. No, I don't have any guns. Have I've you, just come back from Texas, though. Have so you I owned? think I was very gun-adjacent. Have you owned guns in the past? Not me, personally, but family members have. Sure, sure, yeah. I No, I, I don't have a gun. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a gun owning I don't person. But that's a thing that that's a thing that foreigners often want to ask me when I'm in their country because or interacting. Because you're an American. Because like, I'm an American. Do, do you, you have, have a gun? Do you own a gun? Yeah. When we were in Australia or Australia, oh, my wife was going to hate me about that because we were in New Zealand, where she's from. She's from New Zealand, not Australia. Oh, that's a problem. Uh uh-uh. oh, that's a problem. Of you forgetting or other of people me asking? saying. She's from New Zealand. They're completely different countries. They're they a thousand are, they can, miles they are, apart they're at their very, closest place. Very, very different places. But uh, we were in New Zealand, and we went to dinner with two, three couples, New Zealanders. And they were, you know, and of course, this is earlier this year, so Trump is in the running, and they want to know, do we have guns? And they're sort of like Americans. You Americans all, you love your guns. You've got guns. I suppose you've got guns. I don't know why you all have to have guns with all your murdering and your guns. And then it turned out, my <laughs> wife and I don't have guns. We're not gun owners. Everyone else at the dinner party had guns. And one of the guys, who was sort of the biggest kind of pushy jackass about, like, you and your fucking guns, you Americans, that was the guy who, it turned out, he needs his guns for his farm and his hunting, and you can't take his guns away from him because he, those are a part of who he is and how he is. And I go, look, you can't. You got the same attitude as the people who love guns in America. Yeah. So how how dare you act like you don't understand me or judge me or other Americans when you got the same attitude about your gun? He was so second amendment. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's funny though that 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 they're that they're throwing all that on you. Do you, I no, I I haven't traveled um because I know there was that period too like when people went to England and and they'd go to uh, other places in Europe. American comics, and they'd really catch a lot of shit for being American. And you go, most comics think the exact same way, you know, or, or, or the, you know, they're not the, the, that sort of person. But I think, I think everybody just got lumped in. I remember being in, in San Francisco before I moved out there in, in like about 91 or so. And I was at the improv when there was an improv there in, in town on, uh, it was on Geary. Mm-hmm. And the the manager on duty just did not like me. Just did not like me at all. Not based on anything about my set, but because I lived in Texas, and and because I was from Australia. And at one point, she confronts me and she says, "You're Australian, so I guess you agree with Mel Gibson." I said, "What?" She said, "Mel Gibson," and he'd said some, you know, a, a, a homophobic shit recently you know at, at this time he'd said something publicly yeah. and i'm like i don't know what mel gibson said i said do i didn't get my copy of bad shit that mel gibson said this week magazine do we know? agree with it or not yeah, yeah and i'm like but and and here's you know the crazy thing is mel gibson's not even australian he's an american he's from new york state he moved to australia i'm like the reverse mel- I, like 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 i'm what america got in exchange for Mel Gibson. So Mel Gibson was born in America, then he His moved family to Australia moved over when he there. was a kid. Yeah, so they could go over there and deny the Holocaust a lot more easily. And, mm-hmm. um, and, um, or maybe get it started. <laughs> maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe that idea is like, I just oh, know it's fun. There's, there's plenty of people denying uh, the Holocaust here in America. <laughs> Branching we out. We need to get down where not as people, many people know that this is well, There's not as many doing. people down there. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to educate them. But, uh, but I felt, I just thought it was strange. Like, I was being lumped in as being. You know, just because I was, but I think also because I was from Texas, there is that that stereotype too in San Francisco. Like, 
oh, you you must be some you know real rednecks, um, close-minded. Yeah. So I had so many people tell me. A, a good friend of mine, he said uh, when I moved out there, a comic, you know, and and I don't care what anyone's sexuality is, but he was he was really. He was really wanted to push me about like, can you handle it? Can you handle the fact that there's so much, so many gay people out here and it's in your face? I'm, I don't, I don't care. I said I'm, I've, I've been in comedy and I've been in theater and everything. I said I don't know if you know this, but the the, the g- g- homosexuality opened up a, a an office in Houston and it took off like wildfire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like there, but that was a time too where, not. It, it, Homosexual, well, homosexuality was more closeted everywhere else, and Probably so people so. didn't realize that they already were friends with homosexuals. They, yeah. they didn't. They didn't know that about the world and their own personal life, and I, and that that was a thing in San Francisco. Even when I first moved there in the eighties, which was kind of pre-AIDS and yeah. and, and 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 that, but. There was this real mentality in San Francisco that gay people were going to, you know, it was going to be a real problem for you, if a straight guy, if you had to interact with gay guys, because they'd be just trying to have sex with you. Within, within San Francisco, they, people yeah, were saying yeah. that? Or outside? Because yeah, I could yes. see outside. Well, in the just very recent suburbs, or very near, just, you go across the bridge into the East Bay, and it was on. Or you'd go yeah. over to the marina, even. you go over to the marina, and some of the local guys, <laughs> some of the local San Francisco guys who've been there for a long time yeah. they're yeah. like these gay yeah, guys yeah, yeah. and blah 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 they're here and you know you got to watch out for them because they're going to try and fuck you and it's like <laughs> I, I maybe if you're lucky you're flattering yourself <laughs> i don't think you're as hot as you think you are you know it's funny to think of that attitude there but yeah it is it is there too yeah and it's other places but it's it, yeah I, I mean i i would think that you wouldn't move there if you weren't cool with everyone that's that's the thing I loved about San Francisco is it just nobody really particularly cared what you did. Just come in here and and just do it and and you know. Yeah, well that I I yeah, that whole how the we care how someone else is having sex with another person who we don't even know in their right. house at <laughs> right. night. Right. It's like how how why is that important to us? Why does that enter into who we're going to be friends with? Or? I think it's a deep well deep down it's a fascination. And deep down, it's probably a wanting to do that. Mm, curious. Well, yeah, it's like suppressed. You know, like I'm going to hate them because of uh, because I want to do that. To you. Yeah, that's like those the gay gay by gay by curious. Yeah, curious. Yeah. Are you yeah. curious? Yeah. So that's that's well, I think that that's what fuels a lot of the homophobia. But it was just it was just funny to be on the receiving end of. Uh, in San Francisco, of uh, oh, you're from Texas, so you must be close-minded. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm, I don't, I, I'm, I'm fine with whatever you do or don't do. Or, Boy, people or, are funny, aren't they? Yeah. But it's just, but especially in in stand-up. I mean, I would think that you are pretty exposed to a bit of every kind of person. Well, then that's you know. surprising, you know, because I started in San Francisco and I love the place like you do too. It's surprising to have that sort of reverse bigoted attitude coming from a place that i associate anyway with being less bigoted yeah 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 san francisco yeah. but yeah but, I, th- but that's interesting too how you put it like th- it still was especially when you moved there it still was almost like a uh i guess it was contained in the castro and not really thought of as spreading beyond well but the castro was the new gay neighborhood because polk street was the 
oh, the, okay. the, oh, the gay neighborhood before the Castro came. All right, out. okay. But I had a so I when I moved to San Francisco from Iowa at the time where I was in college, I had a friend who moved out from San Francisco. Also, I moved out to become a comedian, and he moved out because he re, he came out of the club. He realized he was gay, and and I'm and I'm not saying that to be judgmental. I mean, I think. He had a girlfriend when I first met him, and then he kind of was like, "Wait a minute, this is not who I am." Ah. And he and, and then we were roommates, and so it was funny because we were working in different restaurants. We because we, we worked in a restaurant in Iowa, so we both had restaurant jobs, and uh, so I'd go out and do comedy, and then he'd go out and do his restaurant job, and then go out to the gay bars, nightclub. There was some crazy. It was before AIDS, so crazy stuff. Right. So then we'd be at home, and he would we would tell each other our stories about them, like I did this bar <laughs> gig, and then he would tell me someplace that he went where there's a guy in a harness that you know it was anything goes night right. at this bar, and it was really wild. It was a wild place then. It, it well, I guess I guess that's what you would do, though. I mean, it's f- so funny because like. I guess that city was just a, a beacon to everyone that just wanted to go somewhere and not. It was kind of like let your freak flag fly in San yeah. Francisco. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. And it was before Silicon Valley, so there, it wasn't everybody in San Francisco wasn't a rich douchebag and right. all that. Now it's. Now I mean, we, sorry, rich douchebags. <laughs> no, no offense. It's uh, well now. I now well that's the thing now. I mean, I don't know how people can even afford to be there anymore. And 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 yeah, um, I talked to a guy who said he was living in a studio apartment down just financial district, but butting right into Chinatown, and he was paying thirty five hundred dollars for a like a seven hundred square foot apartment, which is small. Is I yeah I mean I I yeah I I just don't even I mean to me it's like unfathomable because I think of I knew people who were living in a closet with a sheet you know across you know in somebody mm-hmm. else's room and they were yeah. paying five hundred or something like that but it's just become so it's such a I don't know it's just so funny that it's become such a beautiful place but people. Aren't there for the beauty and the and the history, like you said before, it was so regional and and it had such an identity. And it almost seemed like there's no identity. Like you said, an out of town a headliner would when name headliner would come up every now and then. Now, I mean, everything, music and and comedy and and all art and everything, and and so much of it's been driven out of the city that it is like what's popular everywhere else, and that's what we're into. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like that's one of the problems with our culture now is we're we're so open to the idea that somebody could be a new YouTube star, but we're so close to the idea that, hey, the comedy club two miles from your house might have a great show of somebody that you don't, you right. haven't heard of them, right. but it's worth your time to go over there. People are like, no, I doubt it. That's, that is funny. Uh, when did you start doing, and I'm going to ask, I'm interviewing you now, but because I'm curious, when did you start doing television and what was your first tv spot mm, well I, there there were regional things so in san francisco there was comedy a thing time. called Com- comedy tonight oh yeah yeah and uh, that was for public tv yeah so i, I had done that. some of those things but my first national thing well the first thing that i did was uh, star search oh okay but i did i was only on once one episode and i lost how many stars did you get I can't remember, but the other guy beat the other guy beat me. <laughs> Do you the know who guy, beat you? Yeah, Steve Schaefer, and he won. He won a few weeks in a row. He was Steve Schaefer. I know it was that. two I minutes. I was thinking of Ross Schaefer, but Steve no, Schaefer. No, he's a different guy. Steve's yeah. a different guy. And uh, he won a few weeks. He was he was really good at the show, and I I just I I didn't understand 
how to win and also winning it winning to win the comedy contest was such yeah. a weird like even though i did that I won the competition in San Francisco, but... But that's even a different... It's, that's based on stand-up. This is... Uh, Starsitch was even a, a weirder thing, wasn't it? Right. Well, because there would be two comics doing two minutes in an hour show, and then there would be acting. There was an acting thing. Where, yeah, like, and a spokesmodel, someone spokesperson would do a, thing. And, a, a man would do a scene... Yeah. ...with a famous actress, and then another man would do a, that scene or a different scene <laughs> yeah. or the continuation of that scene with a famous actress, and then, then the judges would vote as to who did the best acting in yes. a two-minute thing. It was absurd. But anyway, so, so that was my first one, and then I did Letterman after that. How, what was the process of getting Letterman? I mean, what did you do, 86, 87? What was the first? 87, but I, yeah, so I've told this story a little bit on here, but I... I don't want to make you repeat all this yeah, stuff, but well, you can, can tell me off, yeah, I can, off mic. Yeah, i just quickly tell you that the process was they would go, they would have the person who was the scout for comics at that time was Robert Morton. It was before he was the okay. producer, producer, producer of the whole show. He was a segment producer, and he was in charge of finding and booking comics for the show. And so he would tour the country. You know, he'd go to San Francisco and Chicago and Denver or wherever and see the best local comics there. And then if you were in New York, then you could ask him to see you again. So yeah. he had seen me a few times. And then I got a manager who, you know, was also Dave's manager. Oh, <laughs> and, really? Uh, and so then that kind of you put me over the goal line. Rollins? Yeah, Rollins, Mora, Bresner. The, the whole At crew. that time, it was Rollins, Jaffe, Mora, Bresner. Right. And Steinberg. And then... Jaffe left, and anyway. Anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that was the process of that. Um, and so now, let's go back to you. Let's shift back to you. Okay. And I can right. tell you more I about I was just me. curious. We can go to lunch, and I'll tell you mm -hmm. my things. Um, well, but, I, I, but I, I would just say, because that was what... I know I saw your first set, and that's what put you in, in my head and probably you know you you and and those people are, are the the reason that i was like i want to do this because this looks like a cool thing to do it was a weird it's weird now to go back and look at those because i remember i remember starting off doing comedy in the 80s and and like you were saying dave was a dave was a new thing he yeah. was just like oh my god look what this guy's doing just like saturday night live was a new thing yeah and i remember listening to woody allen stand-up because i loved his early movies you know yeah. sleeper and manhattan and all that and then listening to his stand-up and thinking man the stand-up has really changed when i listen to this his stand-up from to then this kind of how stand-up was in the 80s and 90s it's like he's taking so long to get to the joke and then when i go back and watch my own sets now 30 years later that's how i feel about my comedy but you, it's but like is that, that because was, you could or it's as it, everything becomes so short attention now. I think it was the stylistic, stylistic. You could be more of a weirdo and take your time and get gentler laughs. But you and had also, a great storytelling thing. You had a great. It, it was. Like I was a, still. It doing, was a journey. But I was you were probably still the, figuring out how to be on TV, and and I guess comedy changed uh, at the same time too. I was doing bit. the thing that I was doing, but you know, we all. We're all evolving to and do the next thing. And we can all look back thing. and go, ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish that this was tighter here or something yeah. like that. But I mean, Elvis Costello is doing some cool stuff now that's very different from the cool stuff he was doing yeah, then. Yeah, They're yeah, both, yeah, 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 yeah. I guess music is a different kind of comparison. Anyway, um, so now we're both in Los Angeles doing our thing. Just, here we are. And uh, how do you like it? How, how do you like it now? How do you find... I know how I find comedy now but 
I, we were having this conversation a little bit the other day uh, in terms of like what what are we what are we going to do you know i'm i'm still enjoying working on the road i'm mm-hmm. trying to find new alternative ways yeah to be able to connect with an audience and work in different venues maybe for maybe maybe some smaller crowds i feel like some of these comedy clubs are so big and it's it's like i you know i can't play the game of trying to sell out you know six shows in a 500 seat room it's like mm-hmm. that's 3000 people if i could do, do that i'd do a theater do you think you, know? you even connect with those people all the way in the back if it is full i feel like there's kind of the fringes are kind of lost in some ways well they have not- to zealously be desiring a connection like i i believe that louis ck can do a great show in madison square garden because the people they're, they're, in the they're, they're top of that. madison yes. square garden yeah. are really into it but i think if you filled up madison square garden w- and you put whoever you think is <laughs> if the, i walked out a, there. a guy a guy who can kill it in a 200 seat comedy club yeah, yeah, yeah. doing his best tightest act you can't it takes it takes so much willful suspension of disbelief on the part of the people who are sitting in the cheap seats and, and by, they're spending the disbelief that, that this could possibly be, you know, how can I enjoy it? I'm so far away. I can't even see the guy's face. <laughs> it's weird to me because I guess I'm just such a uh, small room thinking kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so maybe not with the times anymore. But I, I haven't watched any, I, don't, I haven't watched comedy specials that much anymore. Whereas I used to watch them a lot. You know, they... You know, when we think that they used to all be in just clubs, and then some of them started being. When you see somebody's doing like a a, a special in the round in a theater, not just a theater, like a, an arena, like a hockey arena. Who's doing that though? Who's doing a well, special? Well, I think in an some arena? of those early Dane Cook ones, and I'm not. Oh yeah, he I'm did some big giant Dane ones. Cook, yeah, whatever. yeah, no, you're right. You're I just right. think, or or when you see that, even though you see the, the the comedy jam show at such and such in the at Mountain View at Shoreline, and I think. Yeah the fuck wants to watch comedy from that far away i know but look i feel that way sometimes about music like the hollywood bowl yeah is a great it's a great place to go see a show but you're going to see you're going to be in the hollywood bowl that's why you're going because yeah yeah, yeah. you can see those same artists in smaller rooms but this is what gets me again about stand-up comedy it's it's a great value you can see the most accomplished artists in the smallest venue but that's what we all want we all want to go see the rolling stones at at the you know Echoplex. Yeah, yeah. 500 seats, 1,500 yeah. seats. But uh, with comedy, you can still have that experience. And, and I think it's great to go see your favorite big-name comedian mm-hmm. at a giant venue. But if you like comedy, also go see. I mean, there's no excuse for you not going to see somebody you don't know because yeah. it only takes you a half hour, go online and watch two or three sets of them do in five see minutes what you think, yeah. and see what you think. And if they seem kind of funny online... I guarantee you they're going to be ten times... So much better. You're going to love them ten times more because comedy is a thing that happens in the room to you, the audience. Yeah, the, yeah. the comedian is not just... It's not just the guy doing his act. Whenever you watch a, a comedy show or a comedy special on TV, you're watching an audience watch a comedian. You're you're watching the comedian also, but, but you're kind of piggybacking on their experience in the same way, you know, my analogy is the porn thing. It's like the difference between... Watching a comedy special on TV and going to see a comedian live is the difference between watching a porn <laughs> or having sex with another person. You know, one of them is really unbelievably better than the other. But if you're just watching the porn, you think, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing the best. Right. This is the best. I just, I mean, I had the same result that they, the guy did. 
that's the best analogy to it. It's well, the the business has changed so much, and I know every business changes, but it's it's almost gotten to the point now where if you're not famous, 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 you can't get gigs, you can't get stage time. Well, except I do think that as we kind of, I I, I think sometimes the the budget, the way the the way that some of the big comedy clubs are paying out as a share of what their revenue is, what they're willing to share with the comedian. I think there's now a way, it, it almost makes sense for comics who aren't famous, 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 as you put it, for comics who are just famous or even just kind of known. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to try and go, look, look, I want to come to your town. If you're listening to this, I've already said this on this podcast, but if you're listening to this, I want to come to your town and I want to do a show. And if you can get 200 people to pay $20 for a ticket and and I you give me the money, I'll hire the comics, I'll pay for my plane ticket. Yeah. I'll you know That's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. But you've got a I mean you've got a you've got a great resume and and, and notoriety. Um I I mean I just for me it's become almost impossible because I never really I did a little bit of stuff, high profile, but I ne but I worked a lot and then it's all dropped off. Well but So I, I when you ask me what I see about comedy is I mean if I just personally look at it like I just see that I just didn't really catch on anywhere, and now it's just hard to sort of get any work. Well, but I also think that's a little bit for our... You're younger than me, but now that's the great thing about age is, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can be 10 years older than somebody, yeah. and then once you're, once you're both a certain age... We don't have to say that exact age. Once you're both a certain age, that 10 years is, is nothing anymore. But guys from our generations didn't have the social media connection to the audience that younger people do. If yeah. I, if I was yeah. as famous now as I had been in the nineties and, and it, and it's 30 years from now, I'd still be connected to those people yeah. in a way that, that I, you know, I would have had to get their mailing address and then send them postcards and then have them tend me a change of address card to stay in touch with them for <laughs> decades before yeah. they even invented email. Right. But that said, it's still not too late for us to make the video that you and I were talking about, mm-hmm. about my, where I was telling you about wh- how I love living by the beach and why. And so that's a project that we can do together and, uh, and post those things on social media and make a connection to new people. There's people who listen to this podcast, sweet people who I've asked to, you know, send me questions and stuff. And I'm sorry, I haven't gotten to those yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to, thank you for sending them in. Um, <laughs> But it, it there's there's new ways that we're we're connecting to people yeah. and uh, and hopefully those connections are going to be the kind of connections where then they will come out and support you in a comedy club, you know. Not that it's all about money and buying tickets, but you know I'm trying to make a living just like everybody else is trying. Well, to but make that, a that is what we do. I mean, you know, that's that that is our gig, and I mean. We love to do it. I mean, I do it because, you know, I love getting on. I would, I, I, you know, what gets me is sometimes people will, will, you know, message me and go, how come you haven't come back to this club or this? Like, it's our choice to, like, I'm not going, you know. Well, which is the sweet. number of clubs I don't want to go back to is very small. It's sweet. one or two places. It's sweet. Yeah, well, with right. Okay, so let's answer that question. The answer to why don't you ever come to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or um, Cincinnati is because no one has ever called me up and made an offer for me to come there. Or they won't return sense. my emails or, 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 the, or about, yeah, about, or that I've in said, my in look, my case, not your case. Yeah, but or or I've said I want to go there and and I can't I can't make the deal to come, or they don't want to make the deal, or they're not interested in making the deal. 
You know, I would love to go to all of those places. Yeah, yeah. why don't why don't you do this? It's just, I mean, it seems crass to answer the question because, like, look, we're I'm not a whore, but I'm a whore. Right? If, if the money's <laughs> right. right, if the money's right, if it's a microphone in a room, I'm not going to have sex with a dog or anything. But I'll come and do my comedy show. <laughs> they other might go more viral, though. Yeah, I don't know why I said sex. It's always sort of telling the kind of spur of the moment accidental like what, example that you come up with out? like i thought somehow that somewhere there's someone who wants to watch me have sex with a dog i don't if there is that person you know there's that one person well there's, there's somebody you know, that wants who, to who do you who do you have this week? They've, they've called up who do you have this week well we got jake johansson he's uh, an hbl special and mm-hmm. number of letterman appearances and you know you know in their mind they're thinking i wonder if he's had sex with a dog yeah, let me ask you one question. Is he going to have sex with a dog at any point in the show? No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't. I don't think I am. I, I'm no. I know I'm not. But I, I, I can say that under the right circumstances, I might pantomime having sex with a dog, or I might pretend that I was the dog that I was having sex with. I, those are two things that could happen. Get get one of them small stools in your town. Don't uh, tell you, me how to do it, Jeff. No, the, you know the small <laughs> stools because so many guys have had sex with a stool on stage. And it's funny. It is funny. A small stool could be the dog. Yeah, you want a little tiny stool. Well, you want to have already had sex with something big that you use the small, the big stool for. Yeah. And then when you get to the dog, you go, oh, wait a minute. And then you run off stage and come out with a tiny stool. Then you get the double laugh. That's, <laughs> and that's the kind of meta comedy that this, I feel like we're trying to do. This should be a workshop. Yeah, this, this is a workshop. workshop. Don't just fuck the stool. You're missing an opportunity. <laughs> You're missing here. another laugh. Oh boy! Well, what a what a fun! I feel like you're leaning forward in a way that says we should go to lunch now. Um, well, I, I'll definitely do it, um, but I don't want to be. I don't want to dictate anything. No, I want us to have lunch. Okay, I want us to have lunch, um, and I want you to come and have a, more conversations on the podcast sometime if you're interested. Oh, I'd love to. And well, this is great. And you know, I mean, not to to like make it such a big deal, but you're uh, you're someone I've looked up to from for many many years, and we've worked together. It's been a long time since we worked together, but I know I remember working with you. But you, you're someone. You're just one of those guys that um, comics that was well respected and and really advanced. Uh, stand-up comedy, uh, and I, I, especially to me, but I, amongst a lot of people, and you embodied like a, a very, a very clever and 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 brilliant sort of um, uh, you know material and all that stuff. So you're somebody I've looked up to for for for, for a long, long well, time. Well, that's and not, and, and not like I got to come on here and and be be sweet to you about it, but it, it, that's the truth. Because I, re- I have the thing is, I, I'm a little down on stand up just because I don't get to do it that much. But I still, I don't. I guess I'm just not that excited by a lot of what I see coming along. It seems like everything's now. It's it's porn. It's 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 weed. It's it's. What do you mean? This, that's what they're ta- those are the topics. That's what they're talking about, and people have talked about that stuff for, forever. But. I just have always loved people who are just interesting and, and clever and unique and just and that's why you and a number of people have always stood out to me as 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 and I haven't even seen you live in such a long time which well, we've got to make some plans sometime, but um, we've got to make some plans but that, that's all I was just wanted to say was just you know it was a thrill to come here and I'll, I'll come talk to you anytime on mic or, or not um, you know the adventures of the of the cream and the coffee well I'll tell you um, I'll tell you this. I've got two comedy DVDs, and they are not burning a hole in my pocket, but (laughs) 
I, this is the thing that I say in my live shows is like, I, I want you in the audience to imagine what it's like to be a person who's got a spare room full of DVDs in a world <laughs> where they've stopped making DVD players. So, um, if you would like those, uh, then you could, I know you don't watch comedy specials, but I'm offering, this is like the worst to offer I to w- give someone a copy of your no, special. No, uh, no, I would, but, I would, uh, um, Anyway, I haven't watched a lot of them lately, but where I just remember the person who was so excited to watch comedy specials, and and I guess that I'm just, I guess a lot of the people. Not, I don't mean that there's not any great comics out there. I just feel like the people have been given the big push lately. Not all of them, but a lot of them just just don't do it for me. Oh, well, I feel like they've found a new way to make people famous. The old way to make people famous was you put them on The Tonight Show or Letterman, and there were gatekeepers for that. Yes. And now there's gatekeepers for the new thing now. So you need to get a special on Netflix. Well, Netflix has changed who they'll buy. You know, I yes. sold them my first special when they were kind of looking for comedy specials, and now they're looking to discover young comics that they can make famous on their own, and then mm-hmm. they can keep a larger share of the revenue or however it's supposed to work. But so they're, they're, it's, they've got their agenda to get you to love this new comedian. And, right. And I feel like, not not in a sour grapes way, I think there are a ton of real... There's more great comics now, I said oh, earlier, absolutely, absolutely. than there ever have been. But if you're out there, you're just a person listening to this who's in the comedy audience and you're trying to decide who's special to watch... It would be good to kind of open your mind that that just because somebody says that something is good doesn't mean that's better than some of the other things that they're not talking about right now. There's a lot of great comics out there that you haven't necessarily seen. I guess I I need to back that up with examples. But um, that said, let's eat. Let's do it. Okay. I like to end with a high five. Are you into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. Nice. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen. Oh, I'm trying trying to turn the thing on. Go there, I did it. I've done it. Turn the thing back on. The microphone. Ah, it gets tricky there. All right. Well, that was some. Uh, I don't know if that was cheery comedian talk. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to think of it. Uh, to be honest, we're all a little disoriented today. Today to me, yesterday to you, or maybe even days ago. Uh, this whole Brangelina breakup. <laughs> Do I? I just. I guess I care. I guess I care. Those are two attractive people who I have enjoyed in a lot of movies. And so they were married, and now they're not going to be married anymore. But they were married for a long time. They have some lovely children. I I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be fine. I hope they're going to be fine. I wish them well. It's sad when people break up, but then again, maybe it's not. Maybe people are not getting what they need out of that relationship and they need to get into another relationship although i don't who knows it's hard to even know what uh, brad pitt and angelina jolie need because they're so much more famous and uh, good looking and wealthy than me i was going to say us but I, I don't know how wealthy you are um and congratulations if you're wealthier than those two people or and for fame famouser famouser yeah congratulate high five yourself Uh, before you go to lunch. Hey, thank you for listening. And if you're not, don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. I'm telling you that. And I mean it more today than, than, well, I ever 
who knows oh god so yeah it's the brangelina breakup i like to listen to the bbc uh radio on on my uh, little device phone my phone i listen to i listen to the radio on my phone it's not even the radio right i mean it is technically i'm listening to the bbc on my phone and they're having it there's they're switching they're changing gears from brangelina and you know people innocent people being shot in um, tulsa to have the conversation of uh, how tattoos might damage your career uh, I'm, I'm not, I think it's late for that conversation. I don't think t- tattoos are going to damage your career. I, well, let me just say this. Don't, don't, don't get a face tattoo unless you're really sure that you're going down a certain road where those are okay. <laughs> Cause that's, you really are narrowing your work possibilities. Uh, but in those areas, you, it's, it's a must have. It's a must have. Okay. Uh, hey, I'm going to say, I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you for listening. Uh, this, this was, I got to get ready to talk to another person about a podcast that I'm getting ready to do in a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. I'm I can't hear you unless you talk into the machine. Oh, you know, here's the thing I forgot to say, and I think Jim mentioned it in the podcast, but if he didn't, go to jimshortcomedian.com, and uh, on Twitter, he's at Jimmy Shelter, (laughs) J-I-M-M-E-S-H-E-L-T-E-R, and of course you know you got to put the at sign in front of that, of course you know it. All right, go get him. Oh, just by the way, Jim's latest tweet that I'm reading right now is, uh, this is the opening Angelina's brother has been waiting for. If you remember, they had a weird kiss at some point. If you can remember that. If you can remember that, you probably have forgotten something that is important. It's me,